Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode is a former collegiate football player. After that, he went on to work with student athletes at Southern Illinois University and then the University of Miami. He's been featured in Miami's 40 Under 40 honorees. He's currently the manager of player engagement for the Miami Dolphins. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Alexander Martin. Alexander, how are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. It's, it's travel day. Yes, we're, we're traveling out for uh, our game against Chicago tomorrow. So today we're doing a walkthrough. Nice, nice. So got a little low-key morning. I appreciate some time to, to share some <laughs> wisdom with us and our guests. And I guess to start, uh, just to kind of share, we were just kind of talking, we almost crossed paths as, as college football players, but uh, you were a college football player at Southern Illinois. Um, can you talk to us mm -hmm. about kind of what led you on your journey from being a college athlete to what you do now um, with the Dolphins? Yeah. And so I'd say first off, and I got to shout out SIUC and, and SIUC only. Um, shout out to all my Salukis out there. I miss my alma mater for sure. Um, but, you know, being a student athlete, is, it's interesting because, you know, you're locked into this kind of alternate reality where almost everything you need is like at your fingertips, right? Academic advisors, tutors, meals provided, you know, class schedules adjusted to accommodate competition and practice and, Although you do miss a lot of the student experience that makes up a great college experience, you, know, you also make up an enormous part of what that college experience is, right? So yeah. everyone roots for their alma mater in sports, whether that's track and field, soccer, tennis, baseball, basketball, football, you know, whatever. Everyone roots for their school and being a student athlete, you get to contribute to that feeling, right? And it's kind of like, however, there's a transition that happens and that transition is not singular by any means. It looks different for everyone. Yeah. Um, some go pro in their sport, you know, others go pro in their academic field and majors, you know, either way. The goal is to continue living your dream, right? And pursuing those passions. And I didn't learn just how much I missed out on all that until I started doing student athlete development at the University of Miami. And it was there that I learned from Sherelle Jackson just how important it is that we prepare these student athletes you know, for life after sport. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward to me joining the Dolphins, a very similar transition happens with NFL players, you know, where in college you're constantly competing against, you know, other top recruits year after year for a starting spot. You know, if you go pro, the process starts all over again, you know, to where now you're constantly competing against top draft picks from all over the place. So in my work on the player engagement side, it's it's my job to make sure that we're preparing these athletes to be the best version of themselves. And yes, that does include their athletic identity, but it also includes like who they are holistically as well. Sure. You know, that's the, the father, the brother, the son, uncle, husband, community member, like yeah. all, all of everything. You know, so essentially I've, I've taken what I've learned from being a student athlete and packaged that into a skill set, you know, for student athlete development. And then kind of like repurpose that into player engagement here in the NFL. Sure. With the Dolphins. sure. And there are so many different, you know, you talked about the different roles that uh, athletes might have within their family, husbands, fathers, sons, all those kind of things. Um, it, it is difficult to sometimes manage that. And I yeah. think, especially as you evolve through your career, because it only gets more challenging. One of my good friends always has a quote. He says, uh, your potential is, uh, you know, your performance is your potential minus distractions. Mm, mm. I like and it. I, yeah. And I think a uh, shout out to my boy Keegan that, that always says that, but um, <laughs> 
Yeah. Can you talk about how that, when you hear that, like potential minus distractions equals performance, how that really relates to one kind of the student athlete experience that you were so mm-hmm. uh, experienced with, and then also maybe at the, at the NFL level and maybe what some of those mm-hmm. common distractions become for, for yeah. athletes and students. So I think that lays kind of parallel to the saying, you know, faith without works is dead, right? You know, you can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't act on it, you know, it's not going anywhere. So same thing with potential, like you can have all the potential in the world, right? But if you're constantly being distracted by external factors, you know, are you going to reach that potential? Who knows, you know? And so it's funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking this morning, talking to one of our players, like, yo, you have all the potential in the world, but you got to, you got to get rid of the distractions, all the external factors, you know, you're competing for a championship right now. That's everyone's goal. 32 teams are all competing to play on the same day, right? But only two get that opportunity. But if we're so focused on the external factors and all the distractions, the potential we do have as a team will just always be potential. You know, yes, we can have all the faith in the world that we're going to be the best team. However, if we don't go out and compete every day, if we don't go out and practice every day, you know, we're kind of just doing ourselves a disservice and just relying on that potential. Yeah. When you uh, were also at, at Miami, I think you did you oversee like 18 sports? Yeah. <laughs> so, like that's uh, and maybe I, I think per one of my like kind of what I wanted to bring up and even at like you know big university at Miami there you know whether it's you know athlete engagement sports psychology we do have a lot of these resources but sometimes it seems like there, there could be more right and I think especially on the mental health side how have you seen that kind of play a, a larger role as, as it kind of bolstering up staffs around athletes and support um, really you know outside of that athlete portion. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I think, you know, in college sports, granted, like you said, like, you know, our student athlete development office at UN, it was, it was three of us at the time. Um, and us three, we were in charge of the personal development, leadership development and career development for all 400 student athletes across all 18 teams. Um, and I think too, like, yes, could we all use, you know, more staff, more personnel? Absolutely. As you know, these student athletes continue to get, um, more and more impressive athletically, we also want them to be just as impressive in, you know, in, in the classrooms, but also like in life in general. And that's what we do in student athlete development. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, like you mentioned, that mental health piece to where for me, what I've learned in my experience in student athlete development is, you know, since college athletics is within this higher ed bubble, there's always a need to quantify, assess, and, and you know, just tally up and make, you know, assessments for everything. And oftentimes student athletes just need someone to talk to. Um, They want someone that's not their coach or their academic advisor, a neutral space to where they can get something off their chest, you know, with no repercussions, you know, and that was most of that's, that's how I spent most of my time at UM talking to student athletes. They would come in and say hello. They would come in in between classes just to sit down. It wasn't in their locker room. It wasn't in the academic hall. It wasn't with their coach. They just wanted a neutral space where they could vent, get something off their chest, maybe take a nap. We've all been there. Um, But they just wanted somebody to talk to and someone who would listen. And when you break it down in that sense, our job in athlete development doesn't necessarily need to be that hard. We just need to be able to understand with emotional intelligence, the person who's sitting across from us and be able to see based on what they're telling us, what it is they need right there in the moment. And oftentimes it's just someone who's willing to listen. Former guest that that we had also, he talked about, uh, he worked with the Rangers for a long time. He said, you know, I spend most of my time teaching tactics, but most of it's just talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and he said, you know, for being even a sports psychologist, it's a lot more listening than, you know, being a therapist per se sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you also talk about, I think, 
my experience around college athletes is they're always, they're looking for that person. It can't always be a coach. Their mom and dad might be far away. Mm -hmm. Um, There might be in a new environment where friend circles or or trust is still developing. Um, But can you talk about how important it is for maybe student athletes and then probably pro athletes just as well to have a good team of circle, circle of trust per se of people that, that can support them and are there through the ups and the downs. Cause there's a lot of people there in the ups, it seems like in sports. Oh, no, no question. And you're absolutely right. I think when, no matter what sports you play, there's always a spotlight on you. Right. And that spotlight's coming from the team that you're on the, or the team that you play for the university that you're representing, the community that that university is in. Then you have the entire alma mater, you know, that's across the world. Everyone's looking at you because you're a part of this team. Same thing in the pros, right? Like you may be a rookie, but you represent this team within this city, within this state. So the spotlight's always on you. And with that spotlight on you, people are going to be coming at you with different things. And the most critical thing you can have, as you mentioned, is that circle of trust. Someone who's going to say yes when you need it and someone who's going to say no when you need it, but also someone who's going to be willing to listen, to understand, but also willing to hear what you have to say, pick it apart and give it back to you in a way that is one in a way that they can hear and understand it but also two that's truly beneficial for them i spend a lot of times whether if it's professional athletes or college athletes they'll be complaining about something i'm like well what did you all right well i'm hearing you but what did you do to fix it Mm -hmm. well i mean i'm just saying like he's not trying to play me well what are you doing to fix that Mm -hmm. well i'm just saying and and (laughs) you can go back and forth on that and now oftentimes i'm like is it going to be a productive conversation if we go back and forth going well you say you're not playing, but I'm asking you, what are you doing? Really, what I'm hearing from, you know, the emotional intelligence side is this player is upset that they're not playing. Right. And if I keep pushing, all right, well, what are you doing to play? That's not what they want to talk about right now. Do we have to get there at some point? Yes. But this is not the time for that. Now is the time for them to vent out everything that's on their mind. They're not playing. They're frustrated. They don't understand why, regardless of if you know why or not. You want them to get all that out now yeah. so they don't do it on the field. They don't do it on the court, the pool, whatever. Allow them the free space to get them out or to get all that out and vent now so that when they're done venting, now you can have a clean conversation of, all right, I heard you say coach isn't trying to play you. All right, so let's go back and pull up your film. Are you doing your individual drills right? Are you understanding the playbook? Do you have regular communication with your coach? You know, if that last part is a no, why not? Are you? Do you feel like you can talk to your coach? Now, talking to your coach is not just talking to your coach about the playbook. Being able to talk to a coach is like, all right, can I talk to you about how I'm feeling about a certain thing? That's the level of connection we're looking for. And you can't have that kind of conversation if you're going back and forth with another athlete. You have to be able to let them get that venting out so then you can have the clear conversation now that everything has hit the wall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a propensity for former athletes and, and sports people and coaches to sometimes when we're here, athletes, you know, complain or have a problem. I always... And I like the way you, you expressed that and talked about it because I think we try to fix it too fast. Mm-hmm. Most like, definitely. Okay, we, we want, we're coaching, we're people, like we, we're well intentioned. We want to help get them back on track. But yeah. it, it's, and I'm, you know, suffered that in relationships too. It's like, all right, let's get through this and then we'll get to the, to the where we need to to, to fix mm-hmm. the, the issues. But um, I love the way you put that together. Uh, leadership. We're student athletes, I think, you know, especially at the high school level and then the ones that go on to play at the collegiate level, sometimes I feel leadership is dumped on them, right? They, they're there for a lot of talent. And then all of a sudden they're in a position and coaches say, I need you to lead. And yeah. um, what what are sometimes the skill sets that 
you try to equip kids that maybe you're in that position with when maybe they're like, I'm not quite sure how to lead. I'm in this position. What do Mm -hmm. I do, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you brought this up because all too often, um, and again, this is both collegiate and professional, like a lot of our athletes are put in leadership positions that they're either not prepared for or they're either not prepared for or not ready to be in. But because sports is this next man up or next woman up mentality, it it just has to be the same leadership. All right, you're next. You're going to be the next leader. And unfortunately, a lot of the leadership based things in sports is based off athletic ability and not necessarily emotional connection or interpersonal communication. You look at ESPN all the time and they say, oh, yeah, this person's a, you know, a fifth year senior. They lead in, in steals or they, they're the fastest swimmer, the fastest long jumper. And they've been here five years. They're a great leader. Well, just because they have great stats doesn't necessarily make them a great leader. It makes them a great athlete. Right. But does that mean that they can walk into a locker room and be embraced by their teammates? Not necessarily. Now, could that be the case? Yes. Is it always the case? No. You have some great athletes that are actually that could be terrible people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, for example, like, I love Michael Jordan. But you've seen how Michael Jordan acts around his teammates. Like, yo, Michael's like, no, we're going to win and we're going to win at all costs. And we might fight at practice. (laughs) Like, you know, they're. I don't I don't like the label of leadership being mellowed down to just being based on athletic performance. Yeah. Lots of things go into the term leadership. It's hard to define, but easy to recognize. Right. Yeah. Um, you can't quantify leadership because it looks different for everybody. However, what you can do is recognize great leadership when you see it. Yeah. And oftentimes when you can recognize great leadership, you see it based on how people are interacting with others. Yeah. It's not necessarily what they're doing by themselves. Yes. Um, you know, again, I, I played football wide receiver. You can have the most catches, the most catches, the most touchdowns, and the most yet. Cooper Cup last year, most touchdown receptions, most receptions, and most yet. Phenomenal, right? Based on his based on his stats, that is a great receiver. Now, do we know how he is in the locker room? Who knows? He's probably a great leader. I have no doubt. You know, same thing with a, a track star. You know, someone who's runs the 100, 200 wins every single year. Usain Bolt, man's gonna win every single year. You know, makes him a great leader on the track. But again, how are we defining leadership? It's hard to do, but easy to recognize. And so I just don't like when leadership is based on just someone's athletic ability alone and not factor in their ability to have emotional intelligence or their interpersonal communication skills or just their ability to to relate to somebody else. Yeah. You hit on there a lot about, you know, the relationships. And I think even in in football, there's a lot of meritocracy, right? I think that's what, Mm -hmm. you know, champions the game um, makes it special, but I think there's been a stronger emphasis at the collegiate and pro level at the relationship-driven coaching and relationship-driven teams, especially mm-hmm. in, when you look at success. Yeah. Um, I'm biased because I'm here in Colorado where your head coach came from, <laughs> Cherry <laughs> Creek High School. But um, I think he's one of the coaches that you see. I don't want to dive into it too much, but you know, what coaches him or coaches like him, what makes him unique in being able to connect and create a relationship with players and how it translates into performance in camaraderie yeah and i I think you just kind of answered it with kind of two pieces there one connecting with the players and then two building relationships it goes it goes far beyond being able to just coach and this goes with any coaching on any sport at any level um it's kind of like being a teacher you know like when you're a teacher you develop different relationships with different students you understand this the student learns best this way the student learns best this way you know is there a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach no, but oftentimes we use that because we feel like we can't connect with the population we're working with. Um, you know, working with 400 student athletes across 18 teams at the University of Miami, 
I couldn't deliver a program seminar or event with, you know, women's tennis, the same I did with uh, men's baseball. That's two different teams, two different identities, two different sets of needs. You know, um, women's tennis was highly international, right? So I can't go in and assume they're going to know everything about financial literacy. And I'm just giving them, you know, the, the back ends, the way to, to, to way to make ends meet. I can't do that because they may not be familiar with the American financial system of money. You know, when, you know, maybe men's football does, but I can't deliver the same presentation to two different identities. So then now me, yes, I may be, you know, a student athlete development professional, but in that moment, I go from being, you know, just my person in my role to a teacher, to a mentor, um, to a counselor, whatever is needed to be able to make sure that I can connect with this individual or this team in the way that they need. It's all about different learning styles, right? Some people are auditory learning. Somebody needs to see it visually. Some people are kinesthetic. Like you just have to understand the population that you're working with and those that go above and beyond and make sure that they can see where the gaps are. Like, all right, I see about 50% of the team gets it. Another 30 might be there. And then, you know, another 20 just might be out the loop. Let me see what's wrong with this. Let me see what's working with this 50 and what's not working with this 20 to make sure I can get everybody back in. And then we'll fill in the remaining 30, you know, on the back end. So I think your ability to connect with people that you don't normally connect with, but then also being able to just establish relationships organically is huge. Yeah. Um, It's a big bridge builder to trust. And I think, you know, and I think in sports, when you're going to be great, we got to have high trusting environments. Um, In your experiences too, I think kind of looking back at like younger student athletes and for maybe like some high school coaches that might listen to this um, that, you know, don't have, you know, a bunch of extra coaches, staff and resources, um, Mm -hmm. but they do want to support their players on a greater level with kind of the player engagement side. Mm -hmm. What would maybe be some, some low hanging fruit or easy tips to give some, some coaches to support their players off the court or field? I think the easiest way to do that is to sometimes take football out of the conversation. You know, that's, to me, that, that's that's been one of my keys to success here with the Dolphins is, yes, while we're in this building, we can talk football all day. Like you'll go from offense meetings to a special team meetings, to team meetings, to film, to practice, to live. like where we're in this, we can talk football all day. But when I have a player come in my office, the first thing I ask is, how's the family, right? You know, how's the wife? You know, how are the kids? How's the aunt? How's the uncle? Like, yeah. take them away from football. So when they do see you the next time, they're thinking, oh, what's up, Alex? Like, how's everything going? Now they're asking me how my family is. And it kind of builds that trust to where they know, okay, I can talk to this person. Yes, I can talk to them about football, but I can also talk to them about everything else, which makes me trust them more that now that's somebody I can go to about anything. Um, and again, like, it's... It's hard when or if you're a coach and like and like you mentioned, you may not have the big staff or you may not have the the associate staff personnel. But what you can do is build authentic relationships one at a time. Um, one of my biggest challenges in this role was I had to find some way to build trust with an NFL locker room. Not the easiest thing to do. Like yeah. Yeah. I walked in, my, I walked in on my very first day and they was looking at me like, yo, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> I don't know him, you know, and I took that as all right. So my first challenge here in day one is to figure out how can I build trust with players that are making millions of dollars way outside of my tax bracket, but also at the same time, have them feel comfortable enough to share information with me that either if I don't have resources or services to help them, I may have somebody else that will. So what I started doing was just one player at a time building organic relationships. And it all started with how are things going? You know, how's the family? You know, I know you just got a dog. How's the new dog doing? Who's taking care of it? Do you have the time to take care of it? Yeah. Finding unique ways to build conversation outside of football. 
for me, that's been a gold mine because, again, it lets the players know that you're interested in who they are when they have the helmet off, when they're off the field, and it's not just always football talk. Again, we can talk football all day, but you'd be surprised how happy they get when you want to talk about something other than football. Yeah, I say athlete, like food, music, like those are like the athletes that we'd have these conversations. I feel like they always had these, these, you know, a handful of mutual, mutual jumping mm-hmm. off points. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, when you can, can leave the sport behind, you know, you can really start to know. And someone gave me the question once, <clears throat> says, I love it with athletes. If you really knew me, you would know this about me. Mm. you know and it's like man if mm-hmm. you, was, you if you had every kid on your team answer that you would know so much more than you did you know before it's, like it's it's so true it's so true and even like the thing about the locker room is they when you walk into a locker room the players that are in again no matter what sport they can tell authenticity in a minute like they can tell when you're being authentic and inauthentic just from the moment you walk in and for me i have to i have to make sure that every day when i'm in that locker room like i'm saying hi to everybody not because i have to but because i want to and i want to be intentional in letting the players know that when i'm in there like yes the locker room is you all space but i'm also here to help y'all so i have to be intentional about when i go into the locker room but also what i need when i'm in there so there are times where i may need a specific thing from a certain player and i'll run into the locker room to get it but what I don't want to do is every time I walk in the locker room, they think I'm looking for them or they think I need something. Yeah. Right. So I got to be strategic. And like when I do go in there, say what's up to folks, you know, hey, how's everything going? Yo, you forgot your helmet. Like, yo, clean up your locker. bro. like di- different things like that to create an authentic space to where when I go in there, they don't always think I need something. But when I do go in there, they know, hey, yo, Alex is here. Yo, like, let's let's see how he's doing or Alex. is. If anything, Alex is going to check up on me. And that's kind of what I wanted. That's how I started building my trust in the locker room. And again, it starts with those one by one authentic relationships. Because once you lose the locker room and you lose trust there, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it's it's tough to get back. Definitely. If uh gave you keys to a time machine, Alexander, and all the wealth and knowledge you've you've gathered as you you've coached and helped so many other student athletes, if sent you back to 16-year-old you, what what would the advice you'd give yourself as a 16-year-old? Yeah, um advice that, that I'll give myself. I think it's part of It'll go back to part of a lot of the lessons that I've learned, right? I think from being a student athlete, right? At 16, I was growing into who I was going to become as a student athlete. Um, I learned that there's always going to be another opportunity, right? It may not look the same and it may not sound the same, but another opportunity will always uh, present itself and you just have to be ready when the opportunity presents itself to you, right? So, For example, um, you know, you, you drop a pass or you fumble the ball on a critical fourth down in a playoff game. You're feeling bad. You're feeling down. You know, you think the coaches, you know, don't trust you or anything like that. But next thing you know, you're catching the game winning touchdown, you know, and then you take the slant 90 yards to the house. Right. One opportunity didn't work out, but you got another opportunity right around the corner. Very similarly, you don't go pro in the sport that you thought you would. However, now you're working in that same sport, just in a different capacity. And that was my story, right? Like, I felt like God had other plans for me. You know, I wanted so badly to play in the NFL, but that was my plan and not his, right? But look at where I am now. I'm in the NFL and I'm on the sidelines, not in the way that I originally thought, but nonetheless still making an impact. So um, I would literally, I would would tell him, I would sit my 16-year-old self down because he's probably running around at some point, (laughs) running around. But there's always another opportunity. Just be ready for when the opportunity presents itself to you. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It fosters such a growth mindset. I think yeah. we, 
I mean, I, I wanted to play in the NFL too, right? Like, yeah, I think mm-hmm. we all want to look towards the highest level, but there's nothing wrong with seeking out those highest goals. Yeah. But knowing that, just like you said, man, being able to, I think, adjust. And uh, mm-hmm. um, I think that's sometimes where the true mental toughness lies is being able to adjust when you got to. <laughs> yeah, right? and, and You see it all the time. Um, I love that you mentioned growth mindset because that, that's essentially what it is. Like that fixed mindset is when you're so focused on growing pro, you're at every tryout, you're at every, you know, open practice and all that, just trying to continue to you know, chase the dream and by all means, big ups to you. But at some point, you know, for me, it was how can I adjust, right? So I started off my first year and a half, two years in student affairs, waiting to get into uh, college athletics. And the next thing I know, I'm in the NFL now. And this is my childhood dream, right? Like, again, it wasn't the it wasn't the way I thought and it wasn't the way I originally envisioned. But at the same time, I'm still in the NFL right now. But to me now, I feel like I'm contributing more in the space that I am in now as opposed to being a player. I can use what I've learned as a college athlete to help these student athletes that then become the rookies that I work with every single day. And it's kind of like everything has come full circle. That's awesome. I love hearing your story and your passion to to help players and do what you do. It's been great. And, uh, you know, to close out, if you could, uh, you know, wave a, a magic wand. And I usually do different versions of this question, but if, if you could could wave a magic wand and, and all the student athletes out there, you know, would wake up with empowered with a, a skill, what would you yeah. want them to wake up with? What skill? The ability to not only, um, not only create relationships, but sustain relationships, mm-hmm. right? The reason I say this is because we've all been to conferences before, right? You get somebody's, but you meet somebody there, you get their business card, don't hear from them again. Like it, it's it's like a recurring theme and something that I've learned and I try to do every single time I meet somebody new is to stay engaged with them. It's one yeah. thing to build relationships, right? But it's another thing to maintain and sustain those relationships. Everything from, you know, your childhood teachers in elementary school, your college professors, um, all your, I still call my coaches from Little League coach to this day. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I still call them coach because the impact they had on my life. And I sure. feel like oftentimes we don't do a good enough job of allowing others to know the grace that they've had over our lives and allowing them to know the impact that they've had on our life, right? Um, I talk all the time about my mentor, Dr. Derek Williams. Like, if anyone knows me, they know about my mentor, Dr. <laughs> Derek Williams. That man has had such a profound impact on my life that any chance I get, I'd be like, you know what? I wouldn't be here had it not been for Dr. Derek Williams showing me this, right? And so, but that's because I've maintained that relationship with him. I've maintained that relationship with all my little league coaches. I've maintained my relationships with my childhood friends. I've maintained those relationships because they're important to me. Um, not to say that, you know, every relationship I've ever built is still going on today. No, that that would be that would be absurd, you know, but I try my best to make sure that I do keep in touch with individuals that have an impact on my life, you know, and is it always mutual? No, not all the time. You know, I may reach back to somebody and never hear from them again, and which is fine. I don't take that personally, but to succeed in not only this role, this business, but in any business, yes, it's great to build relationships, but you have to maintain and sustain them as well. It's it's easy to not reach out. It's easy to not reach back. Um, Tyler, I kid you not, I have about 20 messages right now on LinkedIn on people saying, hey, I just want to pick your brain. Do you have 20 to 30 minutes? And I feel so bad because I can't get to all of them at the same time, but I just get to them when I can. Right. But again, that's about me not only building those relationships. Those are relationships that I've, you know, first got or or built at different things I've done with the NCAA and things like that. These are college student athletes, seniors, 
or interns trying to break into the NFL. Sure. I, I came here in a very non-traditional route. So the way I got in might be beneficial for somebody else. So I want to help others know how I got here. You know, but when I'm looking at all these messages, I'm like, all right, I can't get to all y'all today, but I'm going to get to you at some point. I don't want them to feel like I forgot about them or I don't want them to feel like, you know, I'm pushing them to the side. Those are this is a relationship that they're trying to build. And it's my job to maintain and sustain that. So it, it goes both ways. But if I can make, wave that magic wand, everybody will be not only not only would everybody be able to build those relationships, but they'd be able to sustain them as well.